0: Unbroken Podcast. I'm Alexandra Amore, author and lifelong explorer of what it means to be human. This is the podcast where my guests and I explore the inside out nature of life via the psychological paradigm called the three principles. We explore the positive effect this can have on every aspect of our lives, including resolving things like unwanted habits, anxiety, trauma, depression, and more. You'll find episode show notes, transcriptions, your complimentary video series, and lots more at unbrokenpodcast.com. If you're struggling to resolve an overeating habit, I invite you to go to freedomfromovereating.com where you'll find all the details about the online course I've created based on my 30 plus years of struggle and how I found the solution to my own overeating habit by exploring this inside-out psychological paradigm. Use the coupon code PODCAST at checkout to save 20% on this unique and comprehensive course. And now, here's the show. Rohini Ross, welcome to Unbroken. Unbroken. Thank you
1: so much for having me. Lovely to speak with you.
0: Lovely to see you again too. So, why don't you tell us a little bit about your background and how you came across the three principles? Oh my goodness, where would you like me to start with my background? <laughs> you were born in.
1: <laughs> yeah, are you talking about professional? I just yeah, give me some. So yeah. I I uh, originally got a master's in cultural geography and that was a switch in my major. I was going to school to be a doctor. And when I got to the pre-med classes, second year of them, um, the science classes were, I was, I kind of had a a bit of a meltdown and wasn't (laughs) able to do them. And so the dean at that time, because my first year I got straight A's. And so it was kind of shocking for me. I'd never struggled academically before. And there was a lot of um, other things going on as well that were challenging. But when I went to the dean, he says, well, it seems like you're capable, but maybe you just need to switch to something you enjoy more. I'm like, mm. okay, that sounds like <laughs> a good idea. And so I switched to cultural geography, which I'm really grateful for because it it's uh, very closely aligned with anthropology. And it, it gave me a more global context for understanding things. And it was very interdisciplinary. And so it gave me a lot of freedom. And then... When I was finishing my master's, I realized that I missed the intention of being in a healing profession. So -hmm. as much as I enjoyed the academics, going on and doing a PhD was appealing, but there was something deeper within me that wanted to continue to look at healing, even if I wasn't a medical doctor. And so I um, stopped my uh, studies at that point, and I had just um, decided to move back to England And uh, I was born in England, but raised in Canada. And I had, um, my father left when I was two and a half and we hadn't been reconnected. And I knew that he was, or I I thought he was in England. And so when I was doing my research in Guatemala for my master's, I met a woman who lived in London. She ran a a Guatemalan textile museum in London. And she said, you know, you can come and work um, in the museum and I'll let you, you know, we'll trade. I have a, a flat. That you can stay in. I thought, well, that sounds like a great idea. And so that was all set up. And then I met Angus in Canada. And so he was just flying in and out literally from Toronto, where I was living at the time. And we met and it was, you know, um, one of those recognitions uh, in that time. And so there was there was some real motivation for me to go to England at that point. So when I went to England, I just decided to, you know, focus on finding my dad, and then just giving myself some space to really explore what is it that I want to do. And I was looking at Chinese medicine, naturopathy, homeopathy, and I didn't really think about psychology. But as I was, um, as things unfolded, the museum didn't work out well. The textiles had a lot of chemicals in them, and I'm very sensitive to chemicals. And so I'm like, I can't work in this environment because I'm getting headaches. And I'm feeling well. And the trade with um, living in the basement flat with a woman wasn't feeling so great either. And so I said to Angus, I said, you know, I don't know what to do. I don't think I can do this job anymore, but I don't have another job. And he says, well, you know, because he was a photographer at the time, let me just introduce you to a modeling agency and see if they have any work they can help you out with in the meantime. And I was 24 turning 25 at the time, which is very old. To start a modeling career, when most people start when they're like 15. And, but for whatever reason, I was um, fortunate in that they had work. I, and I ended up doing that for about 10 years until um, we had our first child. And that allowed me to really have the space to just explore what I wanted to explore. And then part of um, the reason we came to the US was through that work. And when I got here to uh, Los Angeles, there's a, there was a school that's no longer um, in place, but at the University of Santa Monica, they no longer offer master's programs. It's, the university is still there, but they don't offer degree programs anymore. But they had a counseling psychology program, but the foundation was in spiritual psychology. And as soon as I saw it, I'm like, that's it. That's what I want to do. And, mm-hmm. and I went to the open evening. Angus didn't come with me. I went to the open evening and I just knew, you know, it's one of those things where you're like, okay, I'm signing up for this program. And then I'm like, Oh my goodness, like, is what's happened here? <laughs> Should I check this out with somebody? <laughs> and I talked to Angus about it, and he's like, Well, if, if you think it's right, like, he was absolutely fine with it. But it was just one of those moments where the inner directive was so clear. And I, I was uh, just kind of shocked by that level of clarity. And so I did that program, and I did end up finishing the counseling psychology program. I did it over a long period of time because I had, we had our two children within that period of time. And so it was uh, an extended study program. And then I ended up becoming faculty at the university, which was really fun. And it was, uh, so I became a licensed psychotherapist through that program. And then probably shortly after I get licensed, because what happens is you start working as a therapist um a long time before you actually get your license because you have to get 3000 hours before you can actually write your licensing exam and so by the time i got licensed i was starting to feel burnt out oh no and i'm like oh no cuz that was the one thing Angus said if we're going to invest in this you better do it <laughs> I'm like, oh no <laughs> i said i would but maybe i can't and so i started to look at what else can i do I, at the time i was working with a, a fabulous company. It was, it was, I just loved the company. And and we worked with families that had adolescents or young adults that were really struggling. And what was beautiful about the work that we did is we worked with the entire family system. And so there would be a clinician that would work with the parents. There'd be a clinician that would work with a young person and they would work in a way where they would go out, they would do activities. They really focused on rapport, relationship building. There was a strong buddhist spiritual orientation within the company so it felt quite aligned on many levels but i think as a new therapist and also some of the policies of how we had things set up at the time there was a lot of emergency situations a lot of on-call like we were pretty much available 24 7 to the families to support them because there were some really high-risk situations going on and um and I I think that I was also as a fairly new clinician, it was difficult for me to understand how to navigate all of that. And and often with new clinicians, you get thrown in the deep end and you kind of have to sink or swim. And so I started to think, well, I can't do this job. And then what happened is that the company leadership um, invested money in a way that was not wise and they basically lost it in a project. And so they decided to... Um, leave the company and they thought that we would just go bankrupt when they left the company. And we had about a hundred families that we were working with at the time, several teams working with them. And uh, there were three of us uh, clinicians. One of the, one was one of the original founders and two other clinicians. We were like, what do we do with these people? Like, we can't just say, sorry, we're just closing our doors. And so we decided to take over the leadership of this company and so for me, I thought, well, maybe that is going to be a change. But then taking on the leadership of a company that's not doing well was not very easy either. So then I'm um, you know, doing more of supervision, but also I took on the operations and also the public speaking, which was like the PR for the company to try and really build business because uh, um, I was the one that was kind of like tag, you're it. And it brought up so much anxiety inside mm. of me because I was, very insecure and very self-conscious, and I my inner critic would just go crazy, and so I would be nervous before doing a talk, I would be nervous during the talk, I would be kind of dissociated during the talk, and then afterwards, where you would hope there would be some reprieve from that, it was just self-judgment, self-criticism, shame, it was awful, so I got into this really negative spiral with it, I'm like, can I even do this? And so I start looking at what else can I do? What else can I do? And that's where I came across Michael Neal's Super Uh, Coach Academy at the time in 2011, which was not a three principles training. But I met George and Linda at one of the weekends there. And I had read one thing I should mention. I had read the relationship handbook, George's relationship handbook back in probably 2004, recommended to to me by Steve Chandler, my coach at the time. And Angus and I were on the outs at that point. Like we were briefly separated. We didn't think we were going to be able to make it in our relationship. And it's not like, oh, I read the book and then it worked out. But we both read the book at that time and we were both able to come back together and work things out. So I would say it was very instrumental in supporting in in that process. But I didn't understand that there was a deeper spiritual understanding behind it mm-hmm. I'm sure I was impacted by that but I didn't it, it didn't I think really say anything about it in the early edition of the book now it does and so I didn't know to look like oh there's more you know there's a Sid Banks like I didn't know yeah when I grew up, I'd spent my teenage years on Vancouver Island and I never knew there was a Sid Banks on Salt Spring when I was wow. 30 minutes away. Not that yeah. I probably cared when I was a teenager. But <laughs> um, so there was that first introduction, but then meeting George and Linda at Michael's uh, training, I understood that, oh, this there's there's something much deeper. And in that first weekend with them, I was I was deeply impacted as I, I was saying I was dealing with a lot of anxiety at the time I think also at that weekend specifically we had Angus and I had put an offer on our home like we never owned a home before we put in an offer and innocently, I thought, oh, you put an offer in on a home, it gets accepted, you get the home. But what we didn't know is that there's all these little things that can go wrong along the way where the mortgage doesn't, you know, this doesn't meet the criteria of the mortgage. And so because where we live, it's a very kind of unique setup. There were all kinds of quirky things that the bank was was really not happy with. It was unusual for them. It wasn't just cookie cutter. And so every week there was something new, like, can we get this approved by the bank? Can we get? And so I was just in this massive state of overwhelm because I was taking it so personally and Mm. I couldn't help it. Like, I knew on an intellectual level that my worth is not dependent on buying a home, that if the bank says, no, you can't have this home or you can't have the money, that it would be fine. It's not like we weren't okay, but it was really on some level touching this this place inside of me of feeling completely unworthy and not good enough, and uh, and so I talked to George in one of the breaks about the situation, and and he was talking to me, and you could I could really get from him that it wasn't a big deal, not out of a lack of compassion, but for him it really was not a big deal what I was going through, and he said something like, "Oh, just you know, you're stuck on one channel of the TV. I'm not." I'm paraphrasing. I'm sure he said it much more eloquently, but something along the lines of you're stuck on one channel of the T don't TV. Don't worry. The channel's going to shift. It will shift naturally. You don't need to worry about it. And I'm like, but I'm not sleeping. I've never not slept tonight. I'm waking up with anxiety. <laughs> like what the channel's going to change by itself. <laughs> so, so it was a real interesting paradox because I wasn't understanding what was being said to me, but after that weekend, I felt so much better, like Mm. on a physiological level, on an emotional level, I was impacted in a really beautiful way. And and in spiritual circles, they would talk about that as transmission. You know, there's a transmission that comes from the teacher. Mm. And so, I mean, that's how I can explain it, because in a sense, there's no intellectual understanding, but there was a transmission that I received that deeply impacted me. And again, it was one of those moments, just like with the University of Santa Monica, I'm like, this is the direction I'm going. Like we had other teachers, different weekends coming to my, you know, this, I want to know more about this. And so that's what, um, had me look into their apprenticeship program. And I ended up doing that, that program with the Pransky's and it changed my life. You know, it changed my life in so many ways. Mm. And one of the most beautiful ways is that the job that I thought I could no longer do all of a sudden, I realized that the stress wasn't coming from my job, right? <laughs> All of a sudden I realized I, like, oh, I have this pattern of thinking, these patterns of thought that I identify with, and that's where the stress comes from. And it it wasn't like that was a new concept to me. I understood that my feelings were related to my thoughts. That was something that I had learned for quite some time, but I had interpreted as that means I then need to change my thoughts and there's something wrong with me for having these thoughts. So it was very antithetical to what the three principles understanding points to. And so it was a real misunderstanding on my part. And what the biggest shift happened to me when I saw that there was nothing wrong with me for having the thinking that I had or for even identifying with the thinking that I was having. So it wasn't really not identifying with the thoughts. So, of course, that shifted once I realized. But it was not a problem with the thoughts. It was not a problem with identifying with the thoughts. The problem was me making it mean something about me that that was what was going on. Mm-hmm. And that changed everything because it took the pressure off of me i had lived my life under such internal pressure to live up to standards that i made up to improve myself to uh be better and that i mean i'm not saying there's none of that there but it has significantly significantly decreased and without that same level of internal pressure another way you could talk about that there's just naturally a self acceptance and a self it's not even a a self love it's a connection with the love that is who we are with the depth of feeling of oh oh that's what I've been looking for and I've been looking for it through perfectionism I've been looking for it through uh, workaholism I've been working at trying to get there in all of these ways because I was suffering based on that misunderstanding of feeling unworthy and shameful not good enough and yet as soon as that illusion falls away this is what i met with an experience of being filled up right and there was uh you know a very big experience of that in terms of the shift was quite dramatic and then i think what Unfolded is just a, an integration of that into day to day life. And then a continued sort of deepening of that. I think I've heard Bill Pettit talk about the principles as a time release learning. <laughs> and it's kind of like, oh, yeah, I've got that time release capsule that continues to release over time. And so that changed my whole practice uh i went from thinking i couldn't do my job and needed to change and become a coach to actually falling back in love with being a therapist i was um you know quite busy at the time i mean when i look back at what i was doing at the time I'm like no wonder i was a little anxious but i was on faculty at the university of santa monica, santa monica i was on the leadership team uh for the uh company that was working with families and i asked to go to three quarters time so that i could also um Have my own practice outside of that, so I was seeing people in my practice, and also the lead clinician at the drug and alcohol treatment center in Malibu. Like, whoa! But it was again, I didn't need to change those things. Those things did change. I didn't keep that pace up, but they didn't change first. I changed first, and then my life started to shift, Mm. uh, and the organic way that it did but I had it set up that oh I need to fix something out there so that I have less stress and anxiety in my life and then all of a sudden I have this greater sense of spaciousness because I'm not putting that same pressure on myself and I have exactly the same lineup of things to do and yet I'm feeling okay Mm -hmm. and I'm actually enjoying what I'm doing I'm not feeling burnt out as a therapist anymore I'm actually feeling inspired I'm I'm you know, at that point when I was doing the apprenticeship, I was learning about working with corporations. I'm like, wow, I could even work with companies doing this. This is amazing. And so over that period of time, it became clear to me that I was going to leave um, many of these jobs and <laughs> go out on my own and create my own practice. And the thing that was a little tricky was that I knew, I was so certain about that. And because I was so certain about that, I thought it should happen right away. Like, okay, I know this is what needs to happen. I guess I need to to leave. And I even gave in my notice to the company that I was working with and it just, they just didn't accept it. And I accepted that they didn't accept it and was like, okay, I guess that's not happening now. And then about 18 months later, the, at, we, we did a great job of getting it back on its feet. We got the company ready to be sold. It was being sold. And my daughter, my eldest daughter went to high school and she started struggling. And I realized like, with her needing more of me, I needed to let some things go. And it was literally, again, one of those decisions where I just knew, okay, I need to give my notice and let that go. And at this time I did it. And not only did they accept it, it was so much better for the company because that meant my salary wasn't needed to be included in the sale so it just made everything work so much more smoothly and everybody was happy. Mm. So, so it's it's just a big lesson in trusting the organic unfolding and that my time my ideas of timing are not always what's meant to be. But it's again the inner peace recognizing for myself that that what what I was looking for was always inside and that as I respected that more connected with it more deeply things naturally started to evolve in my life so my work life changed my relationship with Angus at that point we weren't sort of on the brink of divorce as we were in 2004 but I had kind of resigned myself to okay this is good enough right this is good enough I don't want to leave him I don't want to be with someone else but I guess this is what our relationship is going to be and then all of a sudden there's this reignition in our relationship of love, of desire, of connection. And of course, he saw the shift in me. And and as he will say, I dragged him to many a workshop and many a therapy session saying, you need to do this or else, you know, it's not going to work. But just seeing that shift in me got him curious about what is it that you're actually doing? Because I hadn't talked about it. I knew, I knew that I had turned him off of so many things. I'm like, I don't need to bring him into this. This can be just for me. And, you know, he can do whatever he wants and that he saw how I was living life and said, you know, what is this? And he got curious and wanted to learn more. So then he ended up doing the apprenticeship with the Pranskis and so forth. And as you know, we now work together. And so my practice evolved from then going into uh, more of my own private practice doing some more corporate work and then, you know, really getting inspired and offering the soul centered series. I can't remember exactly when that was, but a few years back before the pandemic and, and letting go of a lot of my private practice to look at more training programs. And then the Rewilders community and training program came out of that. And then the couples intensives, Angus and I focus a lot on couples intensives and I'm doing more and more uh, one-on-one intensives too. So it's just been this natural evolution that's happened with my business
0: mm-hmm. oh I love that so much juicy stuff in there and then you anticipated my question about how Angus got folded into the whole thing that's yes. that's yes. really cool that he saw something happening with you without you having to yeah shove it down his yeah. throat, as it really, it were. it
1: really was genuinely yeah internally his internal curiosity it was not me Mm -hmm. saying I don't even think I talk because it's so hard to talk about as well with someone who's you know (laughs) I
0: just didn't really need to talk about it yeah Uh, yeah exactly and so maybe talk about that a little a little bit more your relationship with Angus and and maybe your children too and how things have changed with this understanding mm. yeah so
1: with Angus Because of my sensitivity through my conditioning to anger, I had a lot of judgment because Angus is somebody who kind of wears his heart on his sleeve. You sort of know where he's at. And if he's mad, he might say something. And whereas I am much more internal (laughs) and it's not like either one really is right or wrong, but we're just very different. And I had a lot of judgment on him over the years about his expression of anger because I took it very personally and he would what would happen is there would be times where he'd get overwhelmed and then he'd just you know kind of the the overwhelm would come out with an expression of anger and i really believed that he needed to change in order for me to be happier
0: mm.
1: that there was you know it was a very arrogant position and i it was it was very blind to me, my arrogance. I just thought I was right. I'm mean, It's so crazy to say now, but it's like, I just thought I was right. And I didn't see my own judgment, criticism as, as a problem. <laughs> I thought, oh, Really, you're the one with the anger you need to change. And it wasn't even, and it's not like he had tons of anger. You know, there were times, especially when there was, you know, he's in a low mood or extra stress, it might, you know, not be great. So anyway, when I, came back from one of the intensives with the Pransky's and, and had a really profound dropping into a deeper space of well-being within myself, really probably the most profound of my life up to that point where I just knew without a question of a doubt that I was okay. And I just felt the expansion of that. And so I come home and I've been gone for a week can't remember exactly how old the kids were at that point, but you know, 10, 12, maybe something. I can't remember. Yeah. No, maybe 14. Anyway, in that age, right. So he's got the kids for a week by himself. (laughs) I come home all blissed out. He's not a happy camper. And uh, it's not like he was intentionally mad. I don't even know. I can't remember what the situation was, but my mood was up here. His mood was down here. Let's just say that. And when couples get together when moods are like that there can be a clash that happens and so what happened is he was angry about something maybe completely legitimate I can't even remember what it was but he expressed his anger and for the first time I think ever in our relationship he acted in that way and it didn't hurt Mm
0: -hmm.
1: I didn't even realize that the hurt was coming from inside of me until that point really, because it just really felt true that he behaves this way and I hurt, therefore the hurt is coming from that behavior, it must be. <laughs> and so I have this experience where it's like, I it, like nothing fazed me. I just still felt love for him. I felt compassion for him. And so he said, whatever he said, I'm still looking through the eyes of compassion. I'm still in a really beautiful feeling within myself. And so I don't respond in the way that I would normally respond, which might be to return with anger or to cry or get out You know, I don't respond in that way. And then he says something else, which as we talk about it now, he's like, it was definitely way across the line. (laughs) Again, we don't remember what it was, but it was something that was probably meant to really bait me. And I still didn't respond because again, it wasn't like I was doing anything. I genuinely was not feeling hurt in that situation. So I wasn't responding from hurt. I was responding with compassion and empathy. And then he looked at me and he's like, like he, it wasn't computing to him. And then he's like, are you not going to respond or you're not going to say anything?" And I'm like, well, I can see your, your suffering. And it, it, again, it's not the words right that because that could be seen as kind of an arrogant condescending expression that wasn't coming from that place like I genuinely could see oh it's not personal I mean I didn't say all this but I was looking back I see like I wasn't taking it personally I could really see that he wasn't himself in that moment it was a temporary outburst of frustration that he was happening it was nothing to do with me. It wasn't my fault. And, um, and the, you know, the storm would pass. I knew what it, it was. It's not who he is. And so I didn't need to get worked up about it. But when I said that I can see your suffering, he said, you know, for him, maybe the first time in our relationship when he's in that state of suffering, he felt compassion for me. I don't think I had ever been compassionate with him when he was angry Mm. because I would always take it personally. And so I wasn't able to feel compassion because I was taking it personally. And so when I said that, and again, it's not the words, it was where I was really coming from inside of myself. He felt that compassion. And he said that, it was like a mirror was being held up to him. And I wasn't intending to do that, but his own conscience kicked it. Mm-hmm. So normally what would happen is I would react to his reaction. He would react to my reaction. And then, you know, it would go wherever it would go. But in this situation, I wasn't impacted in a negative way. I'm feeling compassionate towards him. He starts to feel his own conscience and realize what an asshole he's being. So I don't know what words you can use no, on your podcast. Right. Realize what a jerk he's being. <laughs> and um and and started to reel it back in himself, right? Wow. Like, whoa, whoa, wait a second here. And so that was a real defining moment or relationship where we could never go back from that. Yeah, I could never make him responsible for how I felt after that experience. Mm. It doesn't mean that I don't take things personally here and there still occasionally I will, but I still, I know, I know that I'm doing it. And I know that Maybe I can't help doing it, but it's not really what's going on.
0: Hmm. And
1: so that that really shifted our relationship where there was room for both of our humanity. And I hadn't had room for Angus's humanity. I hadn't had an open heart for when he was suffering in that way, because I just, um, you know, again, it wasn't intentional, but my own conditioning would just come in. You could call it trauma. It just would come in so quickly. And then I would, you know, react from that rather than being present. And so that has just grown and deepened over time. And I would say that it's a similar response with the kids, although was always much more able to be compassionate with the kids and he could see that. So that was the other thing that would annoy him is he said, know I was capable, but yet I would never do it for him. <laughs> but what I will say for um, a couple of things regarding the kids is when my, especially my elder daughter, who's, you know, more fiery, when she hit her teen years and um, things would, would spark. One of the other things that happened during this time is that with the kids, I would tend to kind of mask, Right. I would just sort of, um, you know, put on what I thought the good mother would do Mm. and and not be as transparent, as honest in certain ways. And then this is after the principles and getting deeply impacted. One day, my daughter is like she's going, you know, she's not happy with me and she's, you know, I don't, again, remember the content, but there was a lot coming at me and and again i'm not advocating for this i'm not saying this is the right thing this is part of my growth but i i lashed out and it was painful because i felt shame and that's not how i want to be as a mom but i realized that the other way of being frozen and not really being honest was not healthy either. And and we were able to repair it afterwards. And it was then a learning journey of how do we be truthful with each other and how do we show up human to human with each other? And and that was sort of a, not a, a one-time thing, but it one that helped her realize I, I am human and I do have my limits, but also where I kind of erred because I didn't ever want to do that again, was I would walk away so that I didn't do that again. And she said to me at one point, you leave me when I need you the most. Mm. And that was like, oh, oh no. And so I'm like, but I'm leaving you because I don't want to lose my cool with you. But she says, but I need you. Mm. So I thought, oh, I have to dig deeper. I have to dig deeper so that I don't take her lashing out when she's really again losing her when her nervous system would get dysregulated and to really again see that it's not personal and how do i not take that personally so that i can show up for her when she needs me and so that was really good learning and it was really powerful to be asked to do that and to realize the value in that and and she wasn't saying that she was behaving well at the time but that would be the best that she could do and you know knowing what I know about teenage brains it's like yeah of course you know it's hard hard to regulate yourself as a teenager and the fact that she want wanted me as her mom to help her even though she was very prickly and spiky at the time it's like okay well that's that's a good thing so that was a big learning curve and then and you know each child is different our younger daughter is a whole other Um, experience with her, uh, she was um, diagnosed in, I think, as a 19, as a young adult with uh, being on the spectrum, that we didn't really uh, know that, you know, and again, like, wow, how did I notice that? And it was, you know, it's very subtle. But then when you sort of put all of the dots together, you realize that, oh, yeah, I can see that now. Mm -hmm. And so there were different sensitivities and different learning curves to how to connect and support her with navigating that and for for someone who was um, not into labels you know I can get dogmatic about my approaches to things and for her to tell me you know having the diagnosis is really helpful for me it helps me to understand myself better Mm. and it's really useful I'm like oh yeah there it can be helpful I understand that so Mm -hmm. and, and as long as it's not pathologizing the person which you know she wasn't experiencing that which was good and so we just um last week dropped her off at college so fingers crossed so far
0: so good <laughs> oh nice well um, and so could you say a little bit more about that so given that this is a paradigm of well you know wellness health mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um how yeah how do you integrate a di- a diagnosis like that with someone
1: well a diagnosis you know the DSM really is about helping people understand and communicate about things. So it it's a language that allows you to speak in a shorthand, basically. So it's descriptive. It's not prescriptive. Mm, right. And so for her to realize that she wasn't the only person feeling some of the things that she was feeling is actually, oh, this is uh, my brain processes things in this way. Oh, this is why I'm overstimulated by certain situations or lights. My nervous system doesn't like that. Or, you know, she would stuff her a lot with the um, ruminating thoughts, you know, OCD thinking. And so, you know, to sort of see like, oh, this fits into this experience that many other people have, and I'm not alone in it. And yes, it does mean that I might. Um, Want to do things differently and make some accommodations, but it doesn't mean anything about my value, who i am right it's It's much more of a a support to help her advocate from herself is what I see it and to in a sense um it's funny to say because it's all about neurodiversity, but normalize herself within that continuum
0: mm-hmm. so
1: and and helpful even for me to read some of the literature to understand more of her internal experience better Mm -hmm. than I did previously.
0: Mm. Oh, fascinating. Yeah. So, so the diagnosis doesn't mean that that she's broken in any given way. It's a descriptor about, yes. yes, Yeah. Yeah.
1: And, and that was what was beautiful about the testing is the psychologist was really clear that these are gifts, you know, Mm. there's incredible gifts. That come with this there's areas that are challenging that it's helpful to understand so that you can look to ha- to how to better take care of yourself rather than try and um or rather than judging yourself because they're challenging or try to fix it in a way where it's not helpful but just to accept and work around areas and then um really lean into your strengths and gifts because there's so many
0: hmm Yeah. Oh, I love that. That's so great. Um, You touched on dealing with Angus's anger and how that affected you before the principles and after. I have a similar reaction when I'm in relationships. Anger really kind of freaks me out. (laughs) Um, Mm -hmm. And I'm very internal as well. I I don't express my anger. I tend to walk away and process it and that kind of thing. So I'm really curious about this idea of the the separate realities that we live in. And it just struck me the other day, you know, that we're all walking around. I almost pictured it like, you know, we all have a a goldfish bowl on our head and that's Mm -hmm. the world we live in. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. it's astounding that any of us can get along at any given time, (laughs) (laughs) given that what we're experiencing is all here in the goldfish Mm -hmm. bowl. Mm -hmm. So I just wondered if we could explore a little bit when we're in these separate realities, what it's like to relate to somebody else in a healthy way uh, in a spousal relationship, let's mm-hmm. say. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: So this, th- there's something emerging. I'll see if it will make sense. Okay. <laughs> but it, it's, it's like, there's a continuum. This is what's kind of occurring to me around this is that there's our individual separate reality with all of the details of that and then the more we drop into what is universal the more that kind of falls away mm. and so if you have and and the more rigid our separate the our separate reality becomes more rigid the more fearful we are the more contracted we are the more stressed we are And so I would say that the more we're able to be in that softening of the perception of separate realities, because it's not, there's really only one reality, but we have these perceptions of different realities. So the more that we recognize that they look real, but they're not, and that there is the capacity to drop into a deeper, more universal feeling within ourselves and live day-to-day in a more flexible reality than a rigid one and you know thinking about Angus and myself I didn't realize I was living in a rigid reality like I said I didn't realize that you know my anger came out in the form of arrogance and judgment and like it didn't come out as a firework but you know from Angus's perspective it was actually worse because it was it was almost like a uh, a gas that you couldn't smell that was toxic. is like <laughs> pervading. <laughs> and so it, it's like, yeah, it's not that one is better or worse than the other, both were challenging. And so when he got rigid, it looked a certain way. When I got rigid, it looked a certain way. And our relationship did not work when that was happening, or it looked like it would didn't work. But now what we can see is that when, if, and it doesn't really get that way that much now, but if it even were, we would understand like that's temporary, that's when we're polarized, that's when we're really caught up, and this is what we behave like when we're really freaked out. But thank goodness, we don't live really freaked out every day, so we have room for that to happen. But we live much more now in a more flexible, open-hearted space where there's less feeling of separate realities and more of a felt sense of Universality, oneness, love. Like for me, the way that I experience it is through the feeling of an open heart, through the feeling of love, through the feeling of compassion, through the feeling of empathy. That's what my felt experience is of what I'm pointing to in terms of that universality. And that's how it shows up. So if I'm feeling that way and I'm intentional about feeling, I'm not manipulative in feeling that way, but I respect feeling that way it's something that is important to me and it's it's something that i if you know if there was an issue that was getting in the way of that i would want to address that whether it's within myself whether it's talking things through with angus so it's like my preference is to live in that state more rather than less Mm. and then this issue of separate realities doesn't really come up
0: Mm. Okay. Wow. Interesting. That was, I really learned a lot (laughs) from, (laughs) from what you just said. (laughs) Amazing. Oh, beautiful. Thank you so much. So we're coming close to the end of our time here. Um, Where can we find out more about you and your work?
1: So the, our website probably is the best place, the Mm rewilders.org. And right now um, we're not spending time on social media because we're taking time to focus on writing a book. And I'm always very hesitant to say that, but it feels supportive, but it's like, is it ever going to appear? Is it going to happen? I don't know, but we're going to see, we're going to do our best to see what we can do on that level. So we realized that we needed to uh, focus our energies in that direction.
0: Yeah, absolutely. You can't do it all
1: yes exactly. all the time
0: yeah. yes yeah <laughs> <laughs> okay so i will put links uh in the show notes to the rewilders.org and so people can go and find you there and um you, do you have you have some training and um coaching that goes on you have a membership as well Um,
1: Well, there's been some changes. So Angus and I are really focusing on writing and our one-on-one practices. So Mm. um, for him, he does the one-on-one coaching and the intensives, couples intensives, and I do individual uh, coaching packages and the couples work with him. The membership community is no longer in place because we decided to put that on pause for now while we're doing the writing and the training program as well so those are not happening at this point in time and so yeah that's what we're up to these days
0: okay oh fascinating i love that you're kind of yeah navigating this in a way that that feels right for you at the time. That's great. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's
1: like we realized that to focus on the training, the community, and our private practices, like that was full, and yeah. to really carve out extra time, we weren't able to do that. So we made some choices that are feeling good.
0: Good. Oh, that's great. Well, mm-hmm. thank you so much, Rohini for being with me here today. I really appreciate it. Ah, uh, thank you. Take care. Bye bye. Thanks. Thank you for listening. I hope you found the show helpful and uplifting. You'll find all the backlist episodes and show notes at unbrokenpodcast.com. To learn more about how to resolve an overeating habit in a way that's unlike anything else you've tried, go to freedomfromovereating.com. Use the coupon code PODCAST at checkout to save 20% on this unique and comprehensive course. See you next time.